James Leach, Matt Maurer. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for having us. Uh, just on businessofcannabis.ca, everybody should go there now. There is a post that you guys wrote called to Copac or not to Copac. Um, and really, isn't that the question? Um, I'm just kidding. That was like Shakespeare. Um, uh, but I want to ask a question. First, I want to define copacking for folks who are, um, you know, like me. Um, I know that Ben and Jerry's Copac's ice cream in Barrie for all of Canada. Is that kind of what we're talking about? That there's a brand and someone who sort of does the contract manufacturing part? James, is that exactly what we're talking about in the cannabis space? That's exactly what we're talking about, um, Jay. Um, it's it's a brand contracts with a, a manufacturer of yeah, that may do a number of different things. And that manufacturer makes the product that that brand needs based on the specifications that they give them. And, you know, in good situations, it works out very well. In bad situations, it can, it can be very bad. So. It could suck. That sounds about like right with almost anything. Uh, I, I want to sure. ask a question, uh, Matt. So, so we sort of understand what co-packing is in the broad perspective. I can only imagine there's unique parts of what happens in cannabis because the regulations, right? Like not everybody can co-pack for everybody else. Not every brand can find a co-packer. Talk about some things that are unique about sort of a co-packer brand relationship in the cannabis space, if you could. Yeah, well, the big one is, you know, we've got a heavily regulated industry, which has um, the primary ingredient is heavily regulated and only certain people can touch it and do things with it. Um, so, you know, you end up with uh, an industry where, um, people with the licenses to handle the product don't have or may not have the expertise, the equipment or the wherewithal to um, make those products and take them to market. And then on the other side, you've got people that have that expertise, the machinery, the bottling plants and all those good things, but they're not allowed to touch the product. Um, and so you're trying to find this happy arrangement where um, both sides can sort of piggyback off each other where the people that can do the packaging, um, you know, get their product or their special sauce or whatever from, from the brand. And the brand wants to get their product to market and they have the packager or the co-packer uh, taking it, you know, for, to that final stage and, and out into market. Yeah, uh, James, you, you hinted at it. Uh, you didn't use the word suck, I did. Um, what, what are some of the things that make it a good relationship for sort of both parties? or could make it a bad relationship for one or the other? Uh, I think like with any good commercial relationship, uh, it's expectation management. And I think it is, is the thing that's gonna make any, any co-packing relationship uh, very positive. And when that expectation management isn't there or, or not controlled in a certain degree, then that's when the relationship can go sour. And that 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 expectation management can come in a number of different forms. Uh, it can it can be with respect to deliveries. It could be respect to, uh, you know, um, forecasts. Um, and it can be respect with respect to you know the 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 party that needs the product manu being manufactured to be very specific in telling uh, the contract manufacturer how how and you know what what they need to do, you know, outside of the, you know, telling them, you know, how to, you know, turn the screws, but, you know, how, what does the product have to look like, taste like, feel like at the end of the day? And if you're not clear with those expectations, then, you know, then the brand's not going to be happy. The contract manufacturer's not going to be happy because it's disappointed a client. And I think it's that that's going to be the biggest driver of all of this. Yeah. 
Yeah, I want to zoom out a bit, Matt, because uh, almost no matter what we've been talking about on the cannabis in the cannabis realm, it's like whether you are a retailer, whether you're like a cultivator, whether you are a processor, manufacturer, whether you're a brand, it seems like we are in a time where the maturation of the industry is happening really, really quickly. And what happens in other industries is now happening here. And that is, you know, there's the, there's the in some cases, the raw ingredients, there's the processors, manufacturers, there's the retailers, there's lots of, there's the testing labs. And everywhere in between, there is really a supply chain as opposed to like, either vertically integrated or people trying to do it all, like grow it, process it, have a chocolate factory on site and then get it to their own sort of own stores. It, it seems to me that in this realm, sort of the co-packing or not to co-pack, the co-packing component of the contract manufacturing is a part of the sector that is, I don't know, ripe for growth, but really is certainly on the near-term horizon with an maturing industry. Is that how you are sort of looking at it? Yeah, I would agree with that. I would think you know, as the industry continues to grow and develop and, you know, it's been doing that since its inception, but for many years in different shapes and forms, you know, 20 LPs to 300 LPs to not enough growing capacity to way too much growing capacity, not enough stores, all these things that keeps changing. Um, as it matures, companies start figuring out um, what they can do and what they can't do and where the pitfalls are. And some of those, as it relates to co-packing, the first ones I would think, um, or I would wager were or in large part with beverages, um, where we saw, you know, uh, all kinds of different issues start coming up. We have these reports about um, potency being dropped because of leaching, uh, no offense, James, into the cans. Um, so they had, you know, those, those particular uh, containers didn't work. So we have to switch the containers. And we've spoken to people um, who are just floored by what the cost is to get a bottling plant up and running and, and efficient and in, a, and in a good way. So, so, you know, they've got to figure out whether they can, whether it makes sense to set up their own shop or not. And when they start really looking into that, um, and then they look at these other companies, we use hypotheticals, you know, Labatt's, Molson, Pepsi, Coke, um, that have been doing it for years and doing it well. And then the focus turns to maybe we shouldn't be doing this ourselves and exploring what a relationship looked like. And from there, we end up with these co-packing agreements and co-packing relationships. Yeah, I, I, I like it. It's so, it's fascinating. And I, and I, we're always driving like in Bolton and Markham, like other places, like you see the extrusion factories and like, I think that's like a co-packer for toothpaste and other things. And, and I just wonder, um, looking back and James sort of being an observer of what sort of the industry is happening, like it seemed like a lot of big producers were creating like their own chocolate factories, which didn't make sense. But under the regs, that was really the only way to produce chocolate, right? It was like to do your own. And I wonder if, um, you know, what, what happens in other industries being applied to here, could there be, I don't even know what we call it, but like almost like a, wouldn't it be great if there was like a co-packing license, right? Where you, you're taking other, you know, you can do it under the auspices of someone else's license and, and bring more products to market because exactly what we're talking about, you would still need the sort of full licensing to actually co-pack or co, you know, produce for other people and bring in brands and, and, and are there regulatory things that we could be looking to sort of shift or change that would make this easier, get more products to market in a more varied and faster way? Um, I think that's a great idea. I think that one of the limitations to that is that a lot of licensing still is heavily dependent on facility. Okay, so no matter what you do, 
um, you're still going to need to get a facility license. And we see this in a lot of different industries. Like you take pharmaceuticals, for example, it's, it's the facility that is the most valuable commodity in that, in that value chain. So, um, you know, yes, maybe, you know, you can piggyback off of a, you know, a major player's uh, sort of sales license and you can piggyback off of their, um, their handling license and such. But at, at the end of the day, that facility is still going to need to be compliant um, not just with um, not just with uh, cannabis regs, because cannabis regs only form a part of this. But, you know, especially for the food products, you got to be compliant with with good manufacturing processes and Canada, you know, and Health Canada, the, the food food guidelines, and those are very onerous too. So it's you know, while that is a great start, you know, maybe being able to, especially piggybacking on the sales license, so that you can, you know, you don't have to necessarily comply with all the the, the nuts and bolts of, of, of those requirements. But if, you know, the facility is still going to need to be, you know, a grade A facility to, to manufacture these types of products. And that's where I think the biggest challenge is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Matt, I want to ask you a question because you, you referenced it earlier, the sort of overhang of product, right? And, and limited places to actually go buy it. And we're still trying to find the right balance in the sector of what that sort of looks like, you know, and, and provinces are finding the same thing. And I just wonder if there's a, I don't even know what the time horizon would be, but, but if you are, you have a great idea, right? You have, you have a brand idea or several brand ideas. Like how are, how are people finding the right co-packers to help do this? Like are people coming to you and say, help me find, bring this product to market or are co-packers who have all the licensing, help me find, you know, people who want to build brands. Like, is there a gap in sort of that relationship building um, that people could, you know, how are people finding the places to actually Copac or brands to come in the door? I, I think it depends. What we've seen so far is it depends on who's looking and their level of sophistication. So um, for example, if you're a, an American company with an American edible or beverage that's very popular in whatever state you might be in or multiple states, um, when we get calls from them, they've usually oftentimes have identified who they wanna work with. They've already had those talks. And it's a matter of putting the pieces together, making sure everything works regulatory-wise and business-wise. Um, other people, you know, you're right. Some people say, I've got this idea. I need someone to co-pack. Do you know anyone? And, you know, maybe you have some suggestions. Uh, but, you know, part of the challenge is that um, in my experience, and it's fairly limited, so I could be wrong, and I welcome if James has, has other thoughts, especially when it comes to bottling and beverages. Um, what I hear from clients is that there's only so many entities that can do that, do it well, do it at scale and get it done properly. So there's, there's only a handful of options perhaps or, or viable options. Um, and the other, the challenges too, um, and one of these big concerns that things that can go sideways is if, as James mentioned earlier, if the co-packer is not doing what they're supposed to do um, or vice versa, it can be very problematic because your product doesn't get to market unless it gets co-packed. Right. Um, and so if the co-packer, let's say it's Pepsi, again, hypothetical example, you sign an agreement with Pepsi to pump out, you know, however many cases or bottles of whatever pounds of beverages uh, per month. If Pepsi says, sorry, we just got busy this month. We didn't get to it. Um, sure, you might have contractual recourse, but practically speaking, you've got a big problem because your products are not getting into the provincial boards, they're not getting onto the shelves, 
and you can't really go anywhere in a hurry. One, because you're probably, con you might be contractually obligated to, to use them exclusively. Uh, and two, there's not a lot of other alternatives. And even if there are, it's not the type of thing you can pivot on in two days. Like you're gonna have to negotiate a new deal and figure it out. The notice, the notice has to go into Health Canada. Yep. Um, it's a mess. So it's not just finding a partner or even a competent partner or a competent partner at a price point that works for you. It's also one that you can trust to do what they say they're gonna do on paper when a push comes to actual shove. Yeah. Uh, James, I want to I want to come back to you for, for maybe the final question. It's like we, we see this happening. We know where it's going. Um, what are like two or three watchouts on both sides of sort of the relationship brand and co-packer that, that you I don't want you to give legal advice while we're on the show. Uh, you can, but I think there's liability. You probably shouldn't. But like what are those key watchouts? And I also want to direct people to read the piece on businessofcannabis.ca. But, but talk about some of the things that they should be sort of looking out for. Um, as they head into a relationship, like, or even, or even entertain the idea in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. uh, I think one of the, one of the ones that you're going to see that is going to be a highly negotiated part is something Matt alluded to, you know, if is, he didn't mention it, but it, it's really going to be very important. And that's exclusivity. Um, so a lot of co-packing relationships, um, one or the other party wants that relationship to be exclusive, like whether it's um, the brand wants, you know, this co-packer to exclusively only do my beverages or my chocolates or, you know, my products. Conversely, the, the co-packer is going to look to the brand saying, you don't get to go anywhere else to get your stuff made. And more importantly, if you want to enter, bring any more products into market, you got to bring it, bring it through us. Um, I think that's going to be one of the big lookouts um, uh, for, for, for players in the industry to see, Okay, what's the appetite? Because like like Matt alluded to, there's not a lot of players out there that are, that are yet um, a competent and 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 producing products in a, in a in a in a great manner. Um, uh, the other thing is another one Matt alluded to is price, and you know the person that can do the best job for the the lowest amount is going to be the one that's going to get the most business, um, and every brand is going to want to flock to that yeah. that that supplier. So I think those are going to be obviously two big ones that people are always going to care about. And then the third is just quality control. You know, um, quality control at the end of the day is the thing that matters most. This is in most cases, um, the products we're talking about are going to be edible products of some form, whether it's a beverage or, or a food stuff. And, you know, if they're not meeting the specifications that A, the product's supposed to adhere to, or B, that are required by, you know, Health Canada, then you're going to be in you know, for a lot of trouble. Yeah. Well, I think it's fascinating because I do think that this topic in particular and, and others sort of like it really speak to the maturation of the industry, as we talked about before. And it is interesting to see sort of how people will line up. At, at, well, well, one, I think they probably hope they'll have bigger market share than they could produce on their own. And also the, the relative benefit of actually working with a co-packer that can ensure in an ideal world, the quality that the replicability, the actual scale and all of those things and work under those licenses to get at the provincial boards and others. So I wanna thank you, James, and thank you, Matt, because uh, it's something we haven't talked about yet on Business of Cannabis, but I do think is one that's gonna be uh, really relevant uh, now and moving forward. And I encourage folks to um, visit the website, businessofcannabis.ca. Uh, as always, Matt Maurer, James Leach from our uh, official law firm of Business of Cannabis, Torque and Mains. Thank you for joining us here this morning and we'll connect with you guys down the road. Thanks, Jay. Thank you very much, Jay.